Welcome to the Young Associates Perspective, a podcast about all things related to business, life, and the community. My name is Joshua Zaprazan, and I'm the host of this podcast series. Make no mistake about it, a recognizable, authentic, and loved brand is one of the most valuable assets a company or individual can own. Whether you're building a business or building your personal and professional network, you need to find a way to differentiate and effectively communicate who you are and what makes you unique. Carly Edmondson is a creative professional with more than 10 years of experience in marketing and communications and is passionate about finding ways to create meaningful connections and creating a sense of community through marketing and communications strategies. Carly currently works as the Director of Marketing and Communications at Cushman & Wakefield Stevenson, Manitoba's largest full-service commercial real estate firm, and has worked in marketing roles across a number of industries. For this episode, I connected with Carly to talk about how to build a brand, the importance of building an authentic brand, and how grassroots marketing is so effective. Carly shares great insight into why some brands fail and offers advice on what young professionals and businesses can do to properly communicate their why and unique value to differentiate themselves. As this episode is being released at the beginning of August, I want to officially welcome and congratulate Carly on her new role as the chair of the YA. The YA and the community is excited to have you, Carly, leading our great organization. On that note, a special thank you to Aaron Denischuk for your service and leadership to the YA as chair these past two years. I hope you all enjoy listening to our conversation and learning why you should think about throwing an orange, not a fruit basket, when building your brand. Enjoy. Carly, welcome to the Young Associates Perspective. Really excited to have you on as a guest. Thank you for having me. So I want to, uh, today's conversation is really going to be a lot about grassroots marketing and, and building a personal professional brand, but let's start with the YA, your incoming chair for uh, for the YA here as of in August. So just want to get your thoughts a little bit on your experience with the YA and what you're really excited for for the next uh, coming two years. Well, obviously, I'm most excited about working with the new vice chair, Joshua <laughs> Zaprazan. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really proud uh, to be taking over the helm of an organization that stands for education and supporting education in our community. And also, I'm really proud that YA is such a diverse group and not just in, you know, ethnicity and gender and all those things that we think about when you hear the word diversity and inclusion, but also the fact that we have new students at Asper who are 19 years old up to young professionals who are in their late 30s. So it's a very diverse group. Um, so one of the things I'm looking forward to the most um, is over the next couple of years really trying to define what YA offers people. And it's been an evolution, how we started and where we are today. Uh, what I hear from our membership and I've been in a YA for five years now, so I've had many conversations. <laughs> uh, what I hear from our membership is that, yeah, they want to socialize, but they want something tangible and immediate. They want to leave an event or um, end listening a podcast or whatever it is that they interact with us um, on. They want to leave with something they can implement and use to grow um, now. So how do we put a circle around some of that instead of trying to be everything to everyone. Uh, I think we've actually done a good job over the years, given what a huge age range and experience range and everything else um, we have. But I look forward to defining that more and uh, looking for new ways to connect with our members. I think you're absolutely right. I I think 
the the coolest part for the YA for me is that diversity that you talked about and how there's, you know, it's such a wide range of individuals from different backgrounds and educational backgrounds and different career jobs. And it's so cool to talk to and network with and discuss different business or life conversations with these individuals and other young professionals. And I think that's really the power of the YA and, and what uh, the members really love. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to work with you as, as the vice chair as well and uh, for the next couple of years. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what really drew you at the beginning five years ago to join the YA? A couple of things. Uh, one, my boss at the time, Diane Gray, was an associate and nudged me in that direction. Uh, and I would follow Diane anywhere. <laughs> so I was happy to oblige. But the thing that really appealed to me about it outside of that was I uh, am actually not an Asper grad. I went to U of W and Red River. So U of M in general was a weird blind spot for me and being in the business community, it felt like a, a network that I should be tapping into more and understanding more. I, I was hiring Asper grads. I was working for people that went to U of M and I just wanted to have a deeper understanding of what the school was doing and where it was going. Um, and also a chance to network in not just an industry specific way. So um, I don't know if you found you're in entrepreneurial circles in marketing and communications. I felt like I was pretty well integrated and knew not everyone there is to know, but had a really high familiarity in that circle. But I don't know people who are working in finance, and I don't know people who are working in a million other industries that I should because they're interesting, and who knows what might come from that. So I wanted to grow my network outside of the circles where I naturally fell, and YA has been an unbelievable tool for doing that uh, for me. So that drew me in, and then kind of my personality is just always to get more involved. So join committees, join the board. And that's been a really huge value for me too, having that board experience and mm -hmm. seeing how an organization operates that's tied to a foundation and how decisions get made and how you move a motion forward or change bylaws. I mean, not the most exciting topics, but really important to know those processes for business and growth, right? So it's been really valuable. The past couple of years, you've been the chair of the membership and recruitment. What have you seen as kind of the biggest change in the last couple of years from a, a recruitment perspective or from that those members' perspective joining? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think um, I think it's that we're growing outside of the circles where YA used to be most known. So myself, I'm a great example. I wasn't an Asper grad. Uh, I think before, just because of the connection with the school, people thought of it as a thing you join if you were an Asper grad. <laughs> and now I right. think it's being looked at more as, oh, this is an opportunity for people working in business to connect. Um, and I've also seen an outcry for more professional development. And that's a, such a huge word. <laughs> it's a catchphrase for a lot of Very. things. Uh, I think before the focus was really on, um, I listened to, to Grant White's episode with you and he said when he was young, if he didn't network, you know, if you didn't network, you died. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And I, I think that's what a lot of people thought of when it came to YA before. I think now it's being viewed as a chance to find a mentor or learn from other people or expand your knowledge about the business community at large. And that's, I think, more where we're moving towards now. I agree. And I think that's really powerful and, and so much of a value add for, for so many young professionals moving forward. So before we get into the marketing conversation, I want to talk to a little bit about your career and your career path to, to where you are today and within marketing and communications. You have a lot of experience in the industry, working in a variety of industries uh, for, for marketing and communications. 
uh, including your work with the Winnipeg Airports Authority, where you focused along the marketing strategy to building and opening the new terminal, uh, Centerport, you know, working to build North America's largest trimodal inland port, and now uh, the Director of Marketing and Communications at Cushman, Wakefield, and Stevenson, mm-hmm. which is Manitoba's largest full-service commercial real estate firm. So lots of really great experience from a marketing perspective. And uh, the other thing that I think is fantastic about you is you kind of mentioned this, your willingness to be involved and volunteer in the community, uh, you know, sitting on other boards, including the YA and, and a couple of others that you've, you've been involved with in the community. So I think that's really great. Talk a little bit more about your career path and what you've really enjoyed and, and why you got into the marketing and communications industry. Sure. Um, one thing you need to know about me that I think shapes a lot of the choices I've made is I'm from a town of 200 people called Pearson, Manitoba. <laughs> it's right in the very southwest corner of Manitoba, so about five minutes from the States and two minutes from Saskatchewan. Um, my graduating class was nine people. So wow. <laughs> I think growing up in a town that small, you learn a wild sense of accountability. It would never occur to me that if I wanted something done, that if I waited, someone else might do it for me. It just, it's built in me that if it needs to get done, I need to do it. I need to contribute. Um, even down to, you know, if I didn't play baseball, there was no baseball team. Like there weren't enough kids. <laughs> so um, that's really carried throughout my career as well. And so I think that willingness to put my hand up has opened a lot of doors uh, for me in a new mm-hmm. community for me. I mean, I didn't grow up here in Winnipeg, but it's crazy what a small town it feels like now. Uh, but in terms of why I chose marketing and communications, this is going to make me sound like a bit of a crazy person, but this is true. Some of my earliest memories is me playing in my yard in Pearson, making up little jingles for toys and products that I had. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I don't know why. I, I wouldn't have told you. I didn't even know what marketing and communications was. I mean, especially in Pearson, there wasn't a lot of ad agencies and the like. Right. Um, but I just always liked the idea of finding a way to make something connect to people uh, in a way that stuck with them. There was something really intriguing to me about that. So I think that's what initially started me on that path. Um, and then I loved to write. I loved uh, creating visual things. And so as I started to learn what marketing and communications actually was, mm-hmm. uh, it really identified for me. So um, I've loved it. It's such a broad field. There's so much you can do, ways you can specialize. I've had exposure to so many different types of companies and industries and projects and um I've also seen that the best companies I've worked for see marketing and communications as a strategic business input at the leadership table, not as a, we've made the decisions, now go make it pretty, right? right. Um, so I've been really lucky, you know, you mentioned some of the places that I've worked, to work places that really understand that and embrace that and let marketing lead a lot of the ways that they connect with their clients. So that's been really fulfilling for me. I think you're really right. I really like how you made that connection to the strategy piece there because I I think so many people, they just view marketing as, oh, just designing something or making a social media post. And there's so much more to it from a strategy perspective Mm -hmm. that really steers and is is aligned with the business's vision and mission and objectives and their strat plan um, in terms of an execution and brand awareness and building credibility in a marketplace. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, you're right. There's a lot more to it that makes it a lot more interesting too and, and so many different moving parts, which is really exciting as well. I think that marketing sometimes and communications gets a bit of a bad rap or uh, some incorrect assumptions made about it because 
Uh, like, for example, I would never walk up to an engineer and say, I have driven over many bridges and I think that you should build the bridge this way because <laughs> I know that there's education and theory and uh, a very important practice behind all of that. But because a lot of people can write or can look at a piece of art or a picture and form their own opinion about it, it's a very accessible mm -hmm. skill set. So there's an assumption that you're kind of born with marketing and communication skills, but that's not the case. There is a lot of strategy and theory behind it, but um, I do see that often, like, oh, this person seems good with writing. Maybe we should make them a marketing person. Right. Um, and with the right mentorship, obviously, that can that can happen. But it is its own its own specialization. I completely agree. So now it's kind of especially there's a lot of people that are looking to restart careers and a lot of young professionals looking to, to grow and, and find new work. A lot of entrepreneurs starting out now too with a lot of new innovations and a space for a lot more creativity and, and um, new new exciting things. And ultimately individuals having to further build their personal and professional brand. So let's kind of start with the importance of building a, a personal brand and um, and your take on that. So when I was younger, I would have told you that those two things should be completely separate. Uh, I was wrong. I, I uh, have now evolved into thinking that they have to intersect. There's no way to keep them separate. That's just the way the world is. And I think that's a really positive thing and an opportunity for people. Um, I think the most important thing to keep in mind there is that you know, corporate culture is more important than ever. We spend so much time talking about it and finding the right fit and making sure that your people... Uh, all have some commonalities, and I think that's because personal brands and corporate brands have to coexist. So right. it's just not going to work if you work somewhere that believes X, Y, Z, and you're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and you're portraying that, right? And you have to be authentic, so you can't pretend to be something that you're not. <laughs> right. So I think the importance of building that professional brand is huge. Um, it's an investment you're making in yourself and your future and where you think you're going to go in addition to what you're doing to further your company. So mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to see different ways people are doing that. I think the most successful way to do it is to make sure you're being authentic. Um, that sounds so simple, but I see a lot of young professionals online, you know, posting quotes from leaders of fortune 500 companies and things like that. And that's great, but I think it's more powerful for them to share where they're at in their career and on their journey, what they're learning, the questions they're wondering about something they tried that worked well or something they're noticing about their industry. I want to hear that. I'm not looking to a recent grad to figure out how to run my 600 person company probably. And they shouldn't, they shouldn't feel pressure to do that because right. that's not where they're at. There's value in where they're at right now. Um, so I think people sometimes treat social media, especially as a tool to build that brand mm -hmm. as a bit of a vision board, like, you know, where they want to end up right. versus a mirror of where they're at now, which I think, uh, really will connect to people and make you stand out in their minds more. I think you, you made a really interesting comment about social media and leveraging digital, the digital space where so many people are uh, gravitating to post you know, what they think or what, where they want to be. Uh, and unfortunately for, I think for a lot of individuals, a lot of companies now too, are they go and, you know, they see these individuals on social media and what they're posting and they get that, um, that perception of, of how they are and, and them as an individual. I mean, you look at many consumers today, especially right now where there's so much more online shopping people, if they don't, as soon as they land on a website, for example, and if the website's not 
user-friendly or if it doesn't look great, they're leaving. They've lost the sale. And I think it's the same thing with personal brands is great what point. they, you know, as soon as you see what they're starting to post, you immediately get that perception of who they are and what, what they're all about. And uh, it, you either like it or you don't. Um, and I, so I think for a lot of people, it's very similar. That's a great point. And I think that employers aren't looking for robots. <laughs> you know, right. I, I love if I'm looking at a stack of resumes and I'm checking them out online, if I see that someone has posted a line from their favorite TV show or, I mean, I love that. I like to see what your interests are. It shows that you're a Authentic. real human being. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I agree. Where do you think most people fail in terms of, of building brands? Have you seen reoccurring themes or, or challenges? Yeah, I, I actually think it's what we alluded to and that's uh, people who are trying to build the aspirational brand versus being true to who they are. Um, I also think that's just a lot of pressure for especially young professionals. I know I personally am not compelled if I am looking at content on somebody's feed that is, you know, they eat a perfect raw vegan diet every day and they do both CrossFit and yoga in between their 60 meetings because they're a high performing professional. And also they wake up with a full face of makeup. Like this is not a person that I've ever met in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't think it's real, even if it is real. Uh, I'm not going to think that it is. And I think that's a lot of pressure to put on the person who's trying to portray that version of themselves Mm -hmm. because inevitably something's not going to line up, whether it's an in-person interaction or posting the wrong thing. And what we're dealing with now um, a lot is call-out culture online, right? And I think there's so much positive that has come from that. It's forcing people to take a look at their own behavior and beliefs and make sure that they stand behind them. Um, but also there's going to be somebody waiting to catch you eating a burger when you said you're a vegan and right. it's going to do a lot more damage, you know, pretending to be something that you're not versus, uh, being true to who you are and then actually connecting with people that you're like-minded with. Right. And I think from that communications perspective and that brand identity perspective, you have to be so careful in what you put out there because you're right. You're not just celebrities are the ones under microscopes. It's it's everyday professionals that are under microscopes in some way, shape, or form. And as soon as you step out of line, even if it's something small, then it, it can hurt you long-term too. And I, I think especially from a young professional standpoint, that's even more so important. You look at, you know, you hear the odd horror story once in a while of a uh, of an employer finding something in a young professional's past when they were younger that they posted online or some comment they made and now all of a sudden that reputation in the community is, is tarnished because of that um, and, and that's unfortunate to hear because but um, it's yeah. reality. We all make mistakes and I, I actually think a new trend I'm seeing is which I think is amazing is how as a society we are much more open to apologies. So I feel like over the past few years, I've seen more corporate acknowledgement of things that mm-hmm. not just, you know, we always strive to be excellent and inclusive, but right. here, here's something we specifically did wrong. And this is what we're specifically doing to change it. Um, I love that that is a new trend. And I actually think that people really identify with that because we've all made mistakes and learned from them. Companies can do it. People can do it. Um, instead of trying to pretend everything is perfect, I think it's a much stronger branding move um, in terms of long-term development and what people think about you to be willing to have that self-reflection publicly if something like that happens. And I, I do think we can't just cancel everybody. 
Right. Where there's going to be nobody left. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like to see that there's this idea that we can all grow together. I think that's very uh, aspirational. I think the learning piece that you mentioned is really important. And so many people can learn from what other people do too and what other people post and how other people build brands. So really just reflecting and looking on some of those other individuals, I think you can learn a lot. How, how do you think um, uh, individuals should go about effectively communicating their brand and what they stand for? So I think that individual branding is going to be just that. It's going to be individual. Uh, but trying to define yourself a little bit. I'm not suggesting putting yourself in a box, but the reality is we all get thousands of messages a day. And I'm not going to retain any of them unless it's repeated. And so figuring out those few things that make you unique, mm-hmm. that are going to matter professionally, and making sure to hit on that multiple times is the most effective way to make sure that you're thought of for that role, for that thing that you want to do, for that board position, whatever that may be. So I can tell you from experience, uh, one of my claims to fame in the early days of my career was that I was an awesome generalist. <laughs> like <laughs> I prided myself on, I can do whatever, just give it to me. I'll, I'll learn it. I'll figure it out. I can get it done. And once I was in the door somewhere, people love that about me, but it's really hard to differentiate differentiate yourself as a awesome generalist. Right. <laughs> That's not really uh, anything specific, and it's hard to get that to stick in somebody's mind who doesn't know you already. So um, I, I think that piece of differentiation is super important because you look at, uh, and both that comparison to personal and professional brands and business brands, that piece of differentiation and really communicating what that value prop is for them and where they fit in the marketplace is what makes businesses so successful. So by using your um, tools of social media and your resume and your LinkedIn profile and your website to really showcase what does make you different, I think you're right. That is absolutely what makes you stand out in a good way. Yeah, and I think a way to answer that for yourself is, you know, if people were standing and having a conversation about you and they said, oh, like, what does that person do? What would you want the answer to be? Mm -hmm. And if you're having trouble figuring that out, also ask people that you work with, like, what's something that I do that you haven't seen other people do? Uh, For me, it was being able to create from scratch and being able to drive brand through community. That's, I think, a lot more compelling and memorable and something that might spark further questions from somebody online or, or in person than, I can kind of do it all, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, define your brand. Um, and it's allowed to evolve. What you're going to say today might be different than what you're going to say in five years, and that's totally fine. But um, it always feels repetitive when you're trying to build a brand. You feel like you've screamed the same thing into a void about 600 times. But externally, it's never enough. <laughs> you can, there's no such thing as too much communication on that stuff. I agree. I agree. And I think to that point of, uh, of the amount of times that you're communicating and messages are sent out, I do think that there's an important piece to be said that if you don't think that something uh, you know, fits align with your brand and your strategy, then it's better to not say it than just to say it as, in order to just have something out there or a post out there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really important to make sure that that's aligned with, the, with your brand and really what your strategy is. I think a big kind of piece to that too is the concept of really kind of without a digital presence, there really is no presence of of a brand and the importance of social media and young professionals leveraging LinkedIn and companies leveraging the digital space. uh, I think it's so important. How have you seen a lot of that digital space being leveraged properly for young professionals and and, uh, smaller scale businesses? You know, one one thing I'll reflect on, I guess, is just because this is a Young Associates produced event, um, 
COVID has certainly thrown us all into more of a digital space, even more so than before. Mm -hmm. And it's been so interesting to me how many companies who previously said that digital you know, was not a focus for them. Suddenly it is such a focus for them. It's their priority. <laughs> and it's actually yeah. the primary way we've been connecting over the last while. I think it's caused everyone to turn and go, oh, is everything that I have online what I want to do? It's a different focus when mm-hmm. it's the only mode that we have versus one of the modes that we have. Uh, but I've seen so many companies uh, doing great things online, offering services digitally or virtually that they never did before. Young Associates, we've hosted online events that would never have flown before. It was a forced circumstance, I don't think. But mm-hmm. we've gotten so much great feedback. Maybe that's something we do going forward. Um, and I have really appreciated in these COVID times seeing people's real life more. I love when I'm on a Zoom call and somebody's baby comes ripping in the room or someone's dog walks across the camera. (laughs) It adds a layer of connection uh, with people and their brands and who they are that you don't see when you're in a professional setting wearing a suit and acting in a certain way. It speaks back to that piece about authenticity. Yes, yeah, very much. I like when those things blend and I think that digital can actually help enhance that as opposed to making it feel more... Mm-hmm. What do you think would be the best medium in that digital space for young professionals to really focus on if they're trying to build out their personal brand? Would it be LinkedIn? Would it be having their own website? Uh, what do you think or what, what really interests you when, when looking at young professionals and their brands? I think for me, whatever, I don't know if it's so much about the medium, although certainly LinkedIn is king and queen of the recruiting space. So that's where Mm -hmm. HR is going to check up on you first uh, if you're applying for jobs and things like that. But whatever medium you choose, I don't know if it's medium specific so much as when I meet that person in real life, does it feel the same? And if it doesn't, then it actually doesn't matter what medium you're using because it's not a true brand and it's not going to take hold the way you want Mm -hmm. it to. I like that. Let's shift the conversation a little bit more towards grassroots marketing. Um, because we wanted that to be a conversation piece today. What's really your definition of grassroots marketing and your thoughts behind it and the importance of it and the effect of it as well? I think it's a really important concept in Winnipeg and in Manitoba specifically because we are one big small town. And I think unlike other markets, uh, there's a legitimacy to hearing about... I feel like I don't think it's real or I don't think it's great until I've heard about it from four other people. And then I go, okay, there's something to this. Uh, but that is kind of a Manitoba mindset, um, and that less than six degrees separation from everything. So I think grassroots marketing really relies on giving information that then will influence the behavior of the people in the community. And hopefully through that, if you're doing it right, they become your advocates. Um, and that works whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're a corporation, even your personal brand, it really does apply to all of those Mm -hmm. things. So I see it as uh, kind of like a campfire. This is like kind of a lame uh, example, but I think it, you know, if you build a nice campfire, more people might come over and join you and and you start to tell them about yourself and you learn about them and it becomes this relationship and this intimacy where they're part of it. They're in the circle versus other traditional forms of marketing where I'm just throwing it out there for you to absorb. I'm inviting you in. Yeah, I want you to be part of it. So when I say grassroots, it's marketing things that we've done, tactics that we use to empower other people to tell your story for you. 
I think that's powerful. And it kind of goes back to that word of mouth. And like you mentioned, hearing it a couple few different times, then it really starts to stick and feels important. And I think to that point too, and another important piece to note is that what works somewhere else might not necessarily work here too. And so from a grassroots perspective, it's really about, okay, where am I understanding the the marketplace, so to speak, in terms of where you are mm-hmm. and really making sure that you're aligned in within that space. And, and just because someone did something in New York doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work here in Winnipeg. I would actually say it probably won't. Um, <laughs> one thing about grassroots marketing is it is very labor intensive because you have to know who you're talking to. You have to know enough about the audience that you know the information you're giving them is of interest to them. And so... I mean, at Centerport, that was something I did a lot. Centerport was a very big, unfamiliar idea. <laughs> a 20,000-acre inland port, like, what is that? <laughs> right. right? It's not a concept that most people know about. So we also had a very limited marketing budget there. So how do we get people to care about this thing that could create thousands of jobs and has since then, um, that could bring all these new businesses to Manitoba? How do I make a school teacher care about that? How do I make um, a 15-year-old kid care about that? And I think it's learning more about those audiences and figuring out what within our company and our project would affect different people and then finding ways to let them know about that that mattered to them. So it worked really well for us, especially in the business community. Uh, I can't tell you how many custom presentations or custom pieces I wrote for industry publications that went out to association memberships or uh, coming out and presenting to, we even presented to a couple of nursing homes. They were just interested. Yeah. And we thought, yeah, we want everyone to know what this is because we're building this for Manitoba. Um, that's very time intensive. You have to think a lot about who you're talking to, but it's always worth it because if people feel like you've taken the time to get to know them and you've shared mm-hmm. information that they care about, they are so much more likely to pass that on. And what you've done is created this network of ambassadors who have a vested interest now in your project versus someone who saw an ad and thought it was interesting. That's a very different experience. Right. And I think it speaks to that personal connection and really connecting on a personal level with someone about what you're doing. And so many more people appreciate that. And because they're able to relate, they're much more supportive of it. And they're going to be champion campaigning for, uh, from word of mouth perspective too, about your brand and what you're doing. So I Mm -hmm. think that is absolutely important to really think about that that personal connection and I I think from a presentation perspective too a lot of the entrepreneurs that I speak to as well that's a big part of the conversation of understand who you're pitching to understand who the judges are who that venture capitalist is get to know them and, and what how they think because and portray your pitch or fix your pitch so that it's really to them on their level of, mm-hmm. about how maybe they think or what they've done in the past. And so really understanding that audience, I think, is so important on so many different levels. And that's such a strength of our market, but also of entrepreneurial people that you're dealing with. When you're smaller, which most of the companies in Winnipeg do fall under that small to medium size, you're more nimble. I think it's very difficult if you had a multinational, you know, thousands of people, it's going to be really hard to dedicate one resource to a particular community and really get to know it. Um, So that's a strength that we have here, I think. I agree. I agree. And it speaks back to one of the great things that uh, Dane Aspiring and I talked about on the podcast episode was the strength of the community and how one of the best parts of Winnipeg, from her perspective, is the community and and is the people. And Grant White said that too on on his episode as well. And so I, I think it speaks volume to to that it's community it's people and at the end of the day that's who you're you're talking to and that's who you need to relate to and relate all of your your messaging to Mm -hmm. 
which is powerful. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some ideas that people could use to implement a very strong grassroots marketing campaign? So corporately, my best advice is actually to use your people. So you have a staff, you have a partner, maybe it's just you, that's fine. But I think empowering people to carry your message forward in their own circles and lives is the most effective way because again, it's real, it's authentic. I'm not going to go home and tell my husband something amazing about the place I work unless I really believe it. (laughs) If I tell him, he's going to tell someone in his life and he's going to really believe it because I believe it. Um, And I think the easiest way to do that, you know, that seems like a daunting task. You really need one battle cry, one rallying statement that you can put all your decisions, regardless of what station you have within your company through. Um, not a list of 14 corporate values that it, that's difficult for people to remember. Um, and that statement needs to really be a human connection because no one cried from too much corporate excellence ever, right? Like right. It just doesn't connect. <laughs> um, and the example I'll use, and I'm such a typical marketer for even mentioning the word Starbucks right now, but I have to, um, their initial brand vision statement was to create a safe haven in today's busy world. So nothing to do with coffee, fair trade coffee, nothing to do with the amazing corporate culture they built where they support their people through education, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing to do with customized drinks, Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing to do with any of their key deliverables of their services of business. It was how do we create this brand experience? And I love that whether I'm a barista or whether I'm a janitor or whether I work in the corporate office, every decision I make during my work day, you know, how can I have this thing that I'm managing create a safe haven for people considering today's busy world, that is such a great guiding principle that's going to build such a strong brand because every person is empowered knowing what that ultimate vision looks like. Um, And too often, I think we see the buzzword bingo brand statements that are like, through diversity and inclusion and innovation, we will create. Mm -hmm. Like That's not something that people can really think about and reflect on. So that would be my recommendation, even if it's for your personal brand, you know, what is your one statement that you would want to put all your decisions through to make sure that it all lines up with who you want to be and where you're going? I think you hit the keyword there of an experience and so many great brands. And I bring up Apple as well, because I think they've created the best brand experience um, or, or one of the best brands experience. And it's all about that experience that you want to portray to not only your customers, but your employees and the community as well, which a lot of people don't think about as well, even though um, they might not necessarily be a customer. There's they're still involved. The community is still largely involved and it needs to be a part of that messaging as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think to that as well, another kind of conversation piece of that is a lot of individuals, and I think young professionals too, and and some companies, they try to be all things to all people. And it goes back to really defining that value proposition and that differentiation. So how, from your experience, from a marketing perspective and a communications perspective, how can professionals narrow in their focus and, and not confuse people of what that offering is? That's hard. That, that is a hard thing to do. I don't know that I have the perfect answer, but one example I use a lot here, and if any of my colleagues listen to this, they're going to laugh because they're so sick of hearing this example, but uh, Seth Godin is a very uh, prolific marketing author. I've read some of his books, and he has this idea around juicing the orange. Basically, it's if I have an orange and I throw it to you, 
you're probably going to catch it every time and you might notice some things about the orange. So it's color, it's smell, how heavy it is. Like you're going to, you're going to get a lot more out of that orange mm -hmm. than if I throw a whole fruit basket at you. You're going to catch nothing. You're going to know that it was fruit, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same as a focused, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it to you and you're going to notice things about it. And so that I think is the approach. Like what orange are you throwing? Don't throw a fruit basket because no one's going to remember your fruit basket. Um, and I, corporately, that happens a lot. Well, mm -hmm. we can't just tell them X. We have to tell them A, B, C, D, E, F, G as well, because we're all of these things. you got to get them in with the orange. Maybe they'll ask for a banana after. That's fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we got to find something that gets them to catch the orange. So that's a metaphor, but that's my answer. I think, I love that. That is a great analogy. I really think that that speaks to it. Um, uh, I, that really speaks to it, I think, and is so important and is, is something that I think when put into a context like that, so many more can relate to and understand, okay, yeah, I really do need to narrow in and focus on exactly what that messaging is and, and what I stand for. Just to kind of wrap up the kind of the, the conversation on marketing and branding, you talked about it, but the piece of authenticity and being genuine and the importance of those in, in really building your brand, I, I think I just want to cycle back to that to kind of end on because I think it's super, super important for especially young professionals and businesses to build on. Um, any other thoughts or comments on that? Hmm. I'm quoting a lot of other people today, but um, there's so many different definitions of branding out there. Marketers argue forever about what that should be. <laughs> The best one I've heard uh, was Jeff Bezos. He said, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. I really like that because it mm -hmm. speaks to the honesty of what people perceive um, and what their experience has been with you. Um, so I think that you have to think about, it's not just what you're putting out that defines your brand, it's what people are taking from it. So if you're going to invest a bunch of time in building a brand corporately or personally, you have to really make sure that it's true to you because there's no way you're going to be able to fool everyone 24 hours a day. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of companies do that, you know, try to rebrand as something that they're not and it just falls flat and it's so much effort and energy to fall flat. And I think every company and every person has something unique to offer. So if you can figure out what that is, um, then you're golden. It's going to, and it's going to evolve over time and that's fine because you'll have built up that trust and recognition along the way. So that would be, that would be my final thought on that. <laughs> that's great. Carly, you've shared some amazing insight, uh, and some advice and thoughts on branding and marketing and communication. So thank you very much for that. I think uh, a lot of individuals will find that really interesting. I'm ending each episode with our guests, uh, a quick rapid fire Section. So I'm going to throw a couple of quick questions at you. And first things that come to your mind, just uh, far away. Okay. All right. Favorite book. So I really like autobiographies and I love audiobooks of autobiographies. I love to hear people <laughs> tell me their stories. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say Tina Fey, Bossy Pants. Funny and insightful. Favorite thing to do when not working. Cook. Ooh, what's like your favorite thing to cook? Food. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love Anything. to eat and I love to see uh, other people enjoying something that I've made. <laughs> Name one other company or business person that inspires you and why. Mm, there's so many. <laughs> this is a very timely answer because I just finished his audiobook. I'm going to say Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye, <laughs> which is maybe not your typical prototype of a businessman. But he is. I mean, he is such an industrious guy. He has followed so many 
non-traditional paths right now. He's learning to skate, like figure skate. It's always been a dream of his, and he's highly publicizing it. He went on a comedy tour, even though that's not the way the world knows him, because that is something he wanted to do. And they've been wildly successful because people see how authentic it is. Uh, Plus, he's had, you know, a lot of challenges growing up as a gender-fluid gay child in the Midwest. So I'm very uh, impressed by anyone who can figure out how to stand in their own truth, especially if it's not something that the world has seen before mm-hmm. and make it so successful. Um, he's so compelling. So I'm, I'm saying JVN. That's great. <laughs> uh, what are three of your favorite brands and why? Mm. Um, I have lots, but because we've been talking so much about grassroots today, uh, one that's really stood out to me lately is Superstore and Loblaws. I think it's been very grassroots what they've done. Um, Before COVID, they were doing this whole shop like a mother uh, campaign, which is super cheeky. And I always like someone who takes a marketing risk, (laughs) but they've evolved their brand hugely over the past 20 years. I mean, they've got Joe Fresh now. They're trying to, to, to be able to appeal to a very specific, a gender specific target. That is a scary move in today's mm-hmm. world. And I think what they've done is really brilliant and empowering and relatable. But then when COVID hit, they did an amazing job of highlighting the bravery of grocery store workers who were out in a time that was tough to be out. They gave them a raise, all of them, just for being there. Um, and I thought that is such a powerful brand move because I see what you really are when, when times get tough. Mm-hmm. How did you act? So Superstore's one. Um, obviously, I like to shop, but um, Hudson's Bay, great Canadian company, <laughs> very long history. They have figured out a way with their brand to still capture like the magic of the old department store and the nostalgia of that while being very modern. And they actually have kind of defined a lot of the Canadian aesthetic, like those HBC stripes are something that are immediately seen as a part of Canadian right. fabric, right? Yeah. Um, so that's some staying power, and I, I really respect that because we've seen other big Canadian giants not stick around, right? So that's another brand hero of mine. And then third, this is such a kiss-up move, but I'm going to do it, um, Cushman and Wakefield Global. So Cushman and Wakefield Stevenson, where I work now, um, is the, the local office here in Winnipeg, but there's offices across the world for Cushman and Wakefield. Um, commercial real estate, and hopefully I don't get in trouble for saying this, is not really known as the most forward-thinking, innovative, modern industry, right? Um, What I see them trying to affect in all of their offices across the globe is really conscientious Mm. and really innovative. Everything is built around what's next. Like, who are our next leaders? What is the next trend? What is the next community initiative we can evolve? So... um, learning more about them, they've become one of my brand heroes. And obviously we're trying to implement a lot of that locally. Those are three great, great brands and, and great uh, explanations of them too. Really What's great. your favorite? I know I'm breaking the rules. What's your favorite brand? Oh, I've got, I really enjoy a lot of brands. I think uh, kind of back to that conversation of Apple and the experience that they provide is one of my favorite brands, I think for sure. But there's so many, um, so many great local brands too. Uh, you look at, um, someone like a Lennard Taylor who's doing amazing things for the city and the community and is a great brand in the exchange district. Um, local companies like that are always inspiring. So I, I always love to see local brands like that, uh, but also large scale brands too, I think are, are great. Uh, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I'll give that some more thought. <laughs> Sorry. I, I broke the format. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Best piece of advice you have for young professionals. 
Well, kind of stolen from uh, one of my mentors, Diane Gray, who I've mentioned before, uh, put your hand up. That was advice she gave to a group of students, and I thought about that a lot, and it served me well. So, you know, you have to make sure you don't burn yourself out and all of those things, but if there's an opportunity and they're looking for somebody to take some leadership or try something new, there is nothing to be lost from putting your hand up, and those people always stand out. So, I love that. Yeah. Last one. You can have a dinner party with any four people in the world. Who's on your invite list? That is a question I could ponder for years. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with a personal answer. I'm going to say, um, I've had, I've been able to work with so many great leaders, but there's four that I worked with the longest who invested the most of their time in my development. So I'm going to pick my four strong women in my life who, uh, are, are past bosses of mine. So Peggy May, she was my boss at the airport and shaped almost everything that I do. <laughs> She's now the president and CEO of Southport and the new chair of the Manitoba Chamber of Commerce. Um, fantastic woman. Uh, Diane Gray, obviously, from Centreport. Before I reported to Diane, I reported to Reva Harrison, who's now at Red River College. She's incredible as well. And then Danielle DeCarampe, she was my boss at Wellington West. So those four women did so much for me, and to have them all at one table, I think I would just explode. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carly, thank you so much for taking the time to connect and chat today and sharing your insights on marketing and building brands and grassroots marketing. I think it was really valuable and a really great conversation. So thanks again for, for everything that you're doing. Uh, really excited again to work with you as uh, you as the chair in um, the next couple of years of the, the YA. Really excited about that. And I think you're going to do some good initiatives and a lot of uh, individuals in the YA are excited about that as well. So thank you again for everything that you're doing and for taking the time to connect and chat today. Oh, thank you. And thank you for starting this initiative. Um, I have enjoyed the podcast I've listened to so far. And I'm excited for people to get to know the, the actual humans in our organization more. I think it's going to be awesome. I appreciate it. I am too. Thanks, Carly. Thanks. Being clear about brand values and consistent in acting on them should be at the heart of building any brand. Being transparent about why you do what you do is how brands build an authentic following. As one brand says, just do it. Take the risk. Be honest. Be truthful and build a brand that empowers other people to tell your story for you. I want to say a final thanks to Carly for joining us on this episode of the Young Associates Perspective and for sharing her advice on building brands. I hope everyone who listened was able to take value and learn from this episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to sharing the next episode of the Young Associates Perspective with you soon. Take care.